welcome to Season 9 of the Lit and Lucid Podcast. Here are your hosts, Lucy and Jared. Welcome everybody to the Lit and Lucid podcast. We are here in season nine recording another episode of the show. Today we have returned guest Jane West on our show. You might remember her from episode 80 with Denver Westward. We had her on a panel, a live panel recording, talking about cannabis and fashion and her can- her brand, her lifestyle brand, Jane West. Um, so if you want to learn more about Jane, you can go back to that episode. It's a live recording, so you can check out that video and see her in person person as well on our YouTube channel. But today, we wanted to bring Jane West on our show to discuss something very important. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about, you know, the topic that's affecting us all in the US and quite frankly, globally right now, the topic of racism and race inequality in the world. Uh, This topic came up, uh, got brought to the forefront a little over two and a half weeks ago after the murder of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer. And now there's a worldwide response looking into protests for Black Lives Matters and police reform. There's a lot of conversations going around in the cannabis industry about, you know, race inequality and equity, social equity concerns, uh, as well as the war on drugs. So Jane reached out to us today and wanted to talk a little bit more about FAIR, um, you know, and race inequality in the cannabis industry. So we were welcome to bring her on. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was, it's been a crazy time since we last connected in person. In January, things have changed a lot. Um, and a lot of it is a direct effect on the cannabis industry as well right now. So it's very interesting times. Yeah, that Jared and I were actually talking about it. That was the last in-person event before COVID shut everything yep. down. Yep. <laughs> that was it, yes, yeah. It that was the last hurrah. Yeah, we, yeah. A, a lot has changed. And it's going to be kind of weird kind of going back and facing COVID. Uh, and then everything else that's changing, you know, it's it's been kind of a welcome relief, I think, in a lot of senses. And um, a lot has changed. And it's just, it's a new normal for everybody now. So yes. kind of and wild it, to look back on. So many of the, it, it's been so promising for so many of our partners nationwide because so many of the like arbitrary, so much subjective rules, like being having to be on camera or having like these different levels of security around shopping in your cannabis store that have been, you know, a lot of those laws have been eased in favor of like getting people access to these essential businesses. And I, I don't think a lot of them will come back. And it's promising to see delivery being fast tracked in a lot of areas as well. Um, so Overall, um, I think it's been a really promising sign, and these really are truly essential businesses. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing that happened is, is us and everybody in the plant has earned an, an essential status, and um, I know everybody who is a part of the cannabis, cannabis industry is going to grasp that opportunity now and run with it because, you know, if cannabis is deemed essential, then why is it still illegal in a number of states, and why is exactly. banking still illegal, and why is, you know, regulation is really tough, and I think it's going to bring up a lot more questions and, and there's going to be a lot of change moving forward. But just that essential status was nice, I think, on everybody's part to to maybe see some of the work that everybody's put in over, you know, 10, 20, hundreds of years is all starting to kind of pay off between advocacy and, and running businesses and everything. So it's, you know, there's, there's negatives to it. But I think um, I think what us and a lot of other folks are doing right now is embracing the positives and really trying to grasp those positives um, you know, build around the positives and move forward. 
yep everything that's occurring at one time I, I think this is the time to actually really take account to see how the cannabis industry has developed in this very short amount of time like we were you know it was just Colorado and Washington State as the only two states highlighted on the U.S. map with legalization for a long time. And so in a very short amount of time, a lot of regulations and laws have gone into place, you know, bringing, like, regulating the sale of cannabis. And I think it it was time to hit pause and start taking a look at, like, how licenses are issued and how the industry is really developing. And so I am grateful that that's happening now. It's kind of funny you brought that up because I hadn't really thought about it too much until you just said that, but you're totally right. I mean, I got my feet wet back in 2015 in the industry, and um, that was 2015 was right the year essentially that Colorado voted to legalize adult use or recreational mm-hmm. cannabis, um, the same as Washington. And so I came in right as, you know, recreational was all beginning, and even before that there was medical, but geez, between 2016 and now, I mean, we saw mm-hmm. at least another 10 or so states legalize adult use and you know, a few others legalized medical use and CBDs come online with a farm bill and now CBDs and I would presume probably 75% of people's households right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, CBDs yes. everywhere. And yes. you're totally right. I think it's been a super rapid transition to legalization of cannabis. And I think it is a welcome pause. It totally is a welcome pause. I think for everybody who's in the industry, um, there's a joke that goes around of like years in cannabis past like uh, dog years and yeah it's like five or whatever it is seven it's for every one and it's like oh my gosh so it is nice to and, look back and i think and something yep. that you're going to discuss today is something that probably should have been happening at the very first go around of developing Definitely. regulations and it's really sad that you know it's taken um you know more deaths and and uh protests and advocacy to to get to this point but it's a welcome conversation i think for many of us who have seen the disparity and want to change it and that's what you mentioned earlier licensing and and who's getting these licenses and who's a part of these cannabis businesses and how do we move forward from here and make sure that we build an industry that's fair for all and also is legal for all definitely and accessible accessible yes i mean cannabis is for everyone the one thing one of the you know, I entered into the industry in Denver, Colorado, starting a cannabis event company. And that was just because I wanted to attend a cannabis friendly event or party that like was at an art gallery and had amazing food and live music. And like, that was my first step into it. I wanted to make it more comfortable to replace cannabis consumption with alcohol, um, from alcohol, from alcohol and, or replace alcohol consumption with cannabis on a Friday night in a normal social setting. And, you know, every year that passed in the industry, I became more aware of these other large groups that had a vested interest in accessibility to the cannabis plant as well, whether that's veterans with PTSD or the elderly or, the, I mean, the, the people with Crohn's disease, like, would just keep finding more and more groups of people for doing cannabis is essential and and there's just such a like there's no other topic than more people had agreed upon than the legalizing cannabis across the u.s at the beginning of this year so it's the right time absolutely 
Yeah, that is how we started the year, right? I can't remember the exact percentage, but it's a considerable majority now that would like to yep. see cannabis legalized. It's almost, It was like I mean, 73% or something. It was a crazy amount. Pretty high. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a thing now that it's past having and, a point of advocacy and conversation. It just needs to happen. Yes, and now more than ever, more than ever, more than ever, because, <laughs> exactly. you know, you take a look at Colorado in the six years since since both you and I started my, my our businesses here, and, you know, we've made over a billion dollars in tax revenue. And there's two million less people living in all of Colorado than there are in just New York City alone. <laughs> and so when you can look at, at a source of tax income that keeps it in state and creates government regulatory jobs and compliance jobs as these businesses come live, um, that are consistently, that you know, salaries and overhead are consistently paid for via the tax revenue, um, it's quite a um getting legalizing cannabis especially in prohibition states right now is one of the fastest ways that they're going to start creating government jobs and bringing in tax revenue because um, it is a plan and people are going to consume it and you're going to want more of it and you can grow more of it and sell more of it and um now six years later in colorado too we have all this public health data showing that a lot of the concerns that prohibition groups had years ago like we now have year after year of public health data proving them wrong our roads are just as safe teen use has not spiked overall illicit teen use in colorado drug use is down mm-hmm. um and you know that tapping into the that black market is gone so um we know that this is good for communities um even down to housing prices in neighborhoods that have a dispensary so um all of those you know the sky will fall if you legalize mentality we now actually have an argument against as opposed to just faith right yeah 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 there's there's data that supports all of this and you know i think it was very interesting when they deemed it essential in colorado like i don't know how other states didn't look at that and you know see all the tax revenue coming in the fact that you know people in colorado like revolted the second you know mayor hancock said you know we're shutting (laughs) them all down and they you know reversed that within hours and so I think other states have to start to pay attention for sure. I mean, even if they're just starting with medical, I mean, that's definitely a step in the right direction, Um, you know. But then on the other hand, you see kind of what happened in Massachusetts where they did shut down, you know, medical access for patients. And, you know, that was wrong during COVID. And they're just starting to get back up. So there's definitely still progress that needs to be made. Um, And then I know you wanted to talk specifically about licensing processes. Um, We aren't super familiar with that process. I know I see a lot of people on Facebook who are active in the licensing, especially in Illinois. And quite frankly, it looks like a shit show. Like, I'm not sure what's going on, but it looks like a mess. So maybe you can provide us some insight on that. Well, yeah, that's one of the that's the primary reason I also reached out to you was because, you know, people within our audience are really starting wanting to put to, to highlight the inequality that has occurred over the past five years of legalization. And it's obvious. Um, we, these are laws and regulations that each state is creating on their own to decide who does and does not get a cannabis license. And as we know here in Colorado with Amendment 64, it allowed a lot of accessibility to the market. Like as long as we met the same criteria, we were both eligible to receive cannabis business licenses. It's why we have thousands of cannabis businesses licensed in this state and people are able to access the medication they need in 
their own communities. And then those businesses tend to be small businesses that are operated and run. And that, that plant is grown in those communities as well. Um, and that's the type, that's the, like the regulatory structure that I've grown up in here in Colorado. Now, over the past 18 months, we've started to look beyond Colorado to find partners in additional states to license and brand um, day and night cannabis. And in doing that, what I have found is systems put in place that are so obviously inequitable, it's stunning. And it's something that I that is now being brought to the forefront. And it always kind of was, it was like, but the same time we've all accepted in a lot of these states like in illinois from what i can tell in illinois in massachusetts in maryland 100 percent of the most significant cannabis business licenses are caucasian male owned (laughs) and it wasn't until we started looking beyond colorado to start finding partners that and i care about building diversity into the structure of my company my company is 80 percent minority owned and it really matters to me, the partners that we're finding in each of these communities, that they're native to the community um, and that there's some minority ownership of that license and of that business. And so as I started to go look in all these other states and I could not find minority owned businesses, not one, not two, not the zero. Um, Then I started to look to the rest of my, rest of my network. And there is a group, um, Canoclusive that has started to try to gather a list because one of the things that I found stark was that in places like Illinois, it's not like there's a list of minority-owned cannabis businesses because there's zero. Uh So, you know, they're not even a list to start with. And so as you started, so how did this come to be? Now, that's where, like you said, the shit show, it starts to get murky. And in each individual case in these states, yeah, you know, it's obviously unfair when 100% of the licenses are owned by Caucasian male-owned corporations or businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, So what are we going to do about it? And how are we going to affect change immediately? I keep hearing in a lot of these states, well, they're doing the minority licenses in the next wave or the next round or, oh, that's part of this other inclusion program that we're doing. But I'm... I was here in Colorado six years ago and I saw small business owners open their cannabis businesses and thrive and provide cannabis to their communities in a very successful way. And I know that it's feasible. These limited licensing markets have arbitrary rules and regulations that have been put in place that cut out individuals who don't have access to large amounts of capital or lobbyists at Capitol Hill. And it's obvious. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so, but it's hard. The biggest challenge is I know there are people in the front lines in all of these states fighting for minority rights. And you also want legalization to occur. You also want patients to get access to cannabis. So, how many more, you know, riders and how many more, you know, issues can you add to these the regulations is what usually starts getting pushed back. They're like, well, we'll do that in the next round. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we'll do this other. But, that, that's just not acceptable anymore, especially when we were also told there'd be expungement elements to these regulations that aren't nece- haven't necessarily occurred yet. And there are still people sitting in jail for almost the exact same crime that people are now licensed and own monopoly licenses to do. Yeah. So uh, it's obvious, it, 
it's obvious that something has occurred over the past five years in many states that enabled just a small select group of people and access to operate in the market. And I think the most important question that we're, the cannabis industry needs to ask ourselves this year, right now, is what are we going to do about that? Yeah. Yeah. I think the first thing that I would do, and, and of course, uh, I'm just a person with an opinion and that's it. And what I would do, though, is, is limit this competitive licensing process. I think that's just a bunch of bullshit, personally. It is. Um, it is. I first got my taste of competitive licensing processes down when Florida was first legalizing um, for their medical program. And they issued, like, geez, I'm going to be way off my numbers here, guys, but not that far. I think it was, like, four, maybe four to ten cultivation yep, licenses. Very and limited. At the time, I was working at a cultivation. And in Colorado, if you're not aware, it was probably close to, geez, between four and 400 and maybe 1,000 cultivations mm-hmm. in Colorado. And they mm-hmm. think that four to 10 are going to be suffice for a place like Florida. And then you do dig into the regulations in, in, the, in the licensure and find out, well, how are these people getting licensed? And they put all these stipulations such as you have to have a million dollars in capital, cash, in the bank, yep. prove it. You have to then have at least you know a PhD or a doctorate on your staff. Yep. You then have to have all these other people in place. You have to have all these expensive security plans and, and protocols, and you have to yes, have yes. you have to have residency, and you have to have a business secured already, which means that you probably had to purchase that business, or you're already paying rent for that business that you may not even secure a license on yes. for the next eight to twelve months. And then oh, you're dialed in. it's yes. easy to like start seeing this shit, and you start wondering. And excuse my language for anybody who's out there, but it's it's a pretty like it's a serious thing that I think has to be addressed. And you yes, start realizing definitely. how would anybody who has been living their life, probably doing this their whole life, who are primarily the people that we're trying to get to come to the legalization side, how are they ever going to do this? And frankly, why are they going to want to do this? Because it's going to cost everything they have to just apply for a license that they're probably not even going to get. And so why go and waste all your money to apply for a license that there's a very slim chance you're going to receive one? It's it's an effed up system. And, and you're absolutely right, and you're dead on about how it works. And it's that mentality, when you get done reading the 80-page arbitrary application that has been created, yeah. when you take a look at the way Colorado and Oklahoma are legalizing, just to be clear, like there's a stark contrast. When you take a look at that list, it makes sense to be like, to shrug your shoulders and be like, oh, yeah, I it doesn't make sense for me to apply. But what really doesn't make sense are those arbitrary regulations and those extremely strict stipulations when we have proof that get, gain, giving people wider access to actually participate and own businesses in the mm-hmm. space that is, is, is safe. It's yeah. a small business revolution. It's something that should be done. And, you know, now in the past couple of weeks that I've been taking like a closer look at this and really trying to identify um, more minority owned businesses in each state. What I'm finding in my conversations is that these limited markets, they, they continue to breed that mentality of exclusivity because when you have a market like Illinois, where there's only like 13 licenses, those businesses are much more appealing to investors I mean, come on, if you have a license of one of only 13 in a state as big as Illinois, that's a much more appealing investment to someone than a place like Oklahoma, where you can get a license in a very short amount of time and anyone can. Mm -hmm. So that continues to feed that, oh, well, bigger investors give bigger money to people in limited markets. And that also, with the limited market, increases the cost of flour. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, because and, it's yeah. not a free market system. And so they're also making more money. And in places like Ohio, they're getting $40 for a 100 milligram pack of gummies as like standard pricing. Yeah. And so what I've found in the past couple of weeks, and one of the reasons I like reached out to you is some of these things are really, really keeping me up at night because I can see the systems that are being put in place and the mentality and thinking that's going behind further creating these limited monopoly based regulatory systems that only allow for the wealthy to participate. Yeah. And it's yeah, just not it's, acceptable. It is not acceptable at all. And like you mentioned and you touched on, it's just it's a trickle down effect. And then so then you have the same you have the same problems of, you know, it's it's very costly to produce that cannabis. There's a monopoly, they can control the price. Well then consumers right. can't access that because it's not affordable. I'll be honest right. with our listeners. Lucy and I you know, we work hard and, and make, you know, we make a good living for ourselves. And we still can't even go to a dispensary and consciously just buy what we want because it's so right. damn expensive. It is so expensive right. that we like literally still shop on a budget. And we talk to each other all the time of like, how do people, especially with medical cannabis, right. how do they afford it? And how do they, right. you know, it's, like cash, it's, like and in cash. Cases, yeah. in order to get the legal. So this is where we talk about like special interests that are left aside like expungement and, and different things as, as like legalization keeps moving forward in a state, in a state and these special interest groups are slowly start like falling away and getting cut out of the legalization. And you're right. In many States also, like, even though cannabis is legalized, home grow isn't. Yeah. And so these patients up. can't make exactly. just six plants of their own. Or, so or it's like you just said, yeah, or it's allowed, but it's limited. Like we are trying to put together a series right now to discuss home grow. And I'm nervous to even, be part of it because Colorado has now backtracked right. so much that they've practically yeah. made it illegal to grow cannabis at your house. Yeah. And you know why right. that is? You know who lobby for that? The cannabis industry, the the big owners who yeah. own all these multi-state operations now who own yeah. multiple stores. Do you want to know another thing that they're trying to do to your cannabis? And I'll tell you now, they're trying to put markers in legal cannabis. And so the cops can go look at the cannabis and figure out, did this come from a legal tell. market or did this come from the illicit market? A fluoro tracer, meaning they can shine it with an ultra fluorescent light. I mean, that's how far these people have gone. And it's like, why? But also how far they are from the basic understanding that so many people in the that are advocates understand, which is this is a plant. It is a plant that has yet to kill someone. And we should anyone should be able to grow it for themselves and consume it themselves for their own medicinal purposes. Like that's what we're drifted so far away from with by like commercializing it so much. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's completely out of hand. It really is. Yes. But we all play in the game. Like people I know that I like absolutely love trust and I want them to wildly succeed. You know, you get in the game, they're like, Oh, they just dropped the applications. Oh, yeah. we're working on that. We got the whole team together. We're all, you know, and, and they're in, cause it's the game and you're playing it. But yeah. um, we need to take a look at that board that game board you know yeah, and yeah. honestly like a lot of people have been asking me point blank in the past week like what would like what do we do what do we do and um i got my master's degree in social work from denver university uh, back in 2005 and we spent a lot of time studying disparity um and i always like that word disparity because it it doesn't have all these other loaded connotations but it, just, it the facts are there like we know that one in four people in Illinois is not Caucasian. And so I like one in four, there's a disparity when zero 
when all, 100% of the licenses went to Caucasian people. So they should just start issuing licenses in Illinois, in Maryland, in Massachusetts to minority groups until there's no longer a disparity. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, in Illinois, it's only one in four, you know, like, so just like there's 13. So that would be like five, like four or five more licenses immediately issued all to minority groups. There's no longer disparity. I mean, these, these large corporations there have a way head start. <laughs> like, if they're worried about competition, they shouldn't be. So um, the, the problem is, though, is that that system that you, that you just detailed earlier, um, Jared, like, that's in place now. So you do need the whole security system and the... What, what's that stuff that cuts you at the top? <laughs> like, the barbed wire and the thing and the cameras and that, like... So, you know, you need all that upfront capital, but I think because of what I've learned over the past couple of weeks about the effects of these limited markets, I believe those groups will find their people and they'll find their investors and they, they have a right to participate and they're citizens of the state of Illinois that legalized cannabis and they absolutely should have an equal right to owning the monopoly licenses to provide this regulated product to the citizens of Illinois. Period. Absolutely. So. I know. Um, also, in like Massachusetts, they they are big on e- social equity and you know trying yes. to address that. Um, but what I've also heard is like it's, there's like a stipulation, like you know, like one one or two people need to be minority on the license, and so they'll go out and like solicit these people and like yes. promise them things, and then yeah. if they get the license, like they'll end up just like terminating them or like paying yes. them off or like something. Yes. So while they are addressing it, you know, maybe at the beginning, it's not following through all the way. You know, these people aren't getting you know any shares after that. And they're really right. just using them as pawns. Yeah, and let me right. and let me kind of tell tell you that we're not going to get anywhere until the war on drugs, for one, is ended, and two, cannabis is legalized across the U.S. Because the problem that's going on right now is that these regulators are coming in and they're over-regulating the plant, like we touched on earlier. They are totally over-regulating it by far. And so, yes, how are you yes. going to get anybody who maybe has lived a life and and maybe you know took part in the black market? Like, who cares? You know, if they're selling marijuana, yeah. really, who cares at this point? Because it's a plant, like. I can freely we walk down the street and buy it. It should be legal. It should be legal. And John Boehner is on the board of one of the companies. Exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. And right. so it needs to be legalized. And then until it is legalized, these regulators in all these states will never look at the plant the way it needs to be looked at. And we right. can clearly see that because the way they're writing the regulations are just ridiculous. They're absurd. Mm-hmm. Like all these security systems, I get it. You want your business to be secure. But moreover, it's the tracking of every you know, half every gram, plant, every, every single mm-hmm. milligram that falls in the floor and like every plant. And it's like, I took part in that system. I used to have to train people for metric. And I've heard about all the struggles of biotrack and metric and all these different, mm-hmm. you know, seed to sale tracking programs. And it's just like, it's utterly ridiculous. That's why mm-hmm. I got out of the plant touching side because it was like, geez, people really like, I'm a smart guy. And this shit's like so complicated and difficult that mm-hmm. it isn't even worth it. And like, who the hell would want to even be a part of this? Let alone, let me, I haven't even touched on the fact that the IRS still breathes down everybody's neck. Yes. And like, who the hell wants the IRS chasing after him? Yes. Nobody. Yes. So, man. Yes. Like, they, they've created a system that only corporations can compete in. And that's concerning to me, too, because a corporation is not a single person. Mm-hmm. So there's ultimately, like, there's just so little accountability there. It's just a board of people, in the, you know, and we're, this is a plant we're growing that people are consuming. 
and they're going to, you know, keep consuming and wanting more. I mean, there's really not many other products that people that regular, like a third of all cannabis consumers consume every single day. I'm one of those people. And so like those, like that is a, a reliable recurring revenue stream. And um, there's one other thing I wanted to say, which you, you had brought up earlier too, about um, the, the, like who can play in the game, you know, in some States they've, they're tuned in enough to know that like people who have criminal prior record, criminal records, prior criminal records for cannabis should be able to participate, own it, work for it, be there. And, in, and as many of you know, so in a lot of states, there's rules and regulations in preventing that, yeah. which is absurd. And I, I just want to point out, like, because I am, I'm talking about this one very specific group that are being awarded the vast majority of cannabis license in the U.S. are, are generationally wealthy Caucasian men. Um, but there's plenty of Caucasian men who are prior criminals who are um, veterans, who like who also are being um, discriminated against in being able to participate in the industry as well, um, who are some of the most perfect people to actually be growing your flower and hand-selecting weed for other veterans with PTSD and curating mm-hmm. that, you know, that cultivation. Like, it's, it's, it just makes so much sense that we can make so many good decisions here that help actually fix the errors of the past and the war on drugs being a war on people and just decimating black communities. Um, it's so obvious. And the laws are something that we, each one of these states and the citizens of the state are literally writing on their own. So, you know, they're handcuffing themselves with, with all these regs. Um, and I just keep encouraging people to take a look at Colorado amendment 64 and also what's happened recently in Oklahoma, because it shows you another way we can approach this that allows for greater accessibility, but really the free market system, yep. like not fixed pricing, mm-hmm. not limited markets, getting people the plant-based medicine they need. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think each of us at least deserves um, to put some time and attention into that area and go educate your family members on cannabis legalization and those that it's yes. hurting and harming. And I think we all really need to do our part, especially if you're in the cannabis industry, to understand the history of the plant, understand even the history we're living right now of legalization and how there's still, as you mentioned, the disparity and really just have a conversation. It could be as simple as that, but we have to get the message out and have to, we all have to do our part to try to get this legalized and stop harming, yes. you know, communities of color and, and black folks and everybody who's been, you know, basically criminalized for this plant. You know, it shouldn't yes. be criminalized. Yeah. And it if anybody, really is for everyone. Yeah. And if you guys are looking for some resources, just like some quick stats or like stories that'll just blow your mind, just check out the Last Prisoner Project. We had Andrew D'Angelo yes. on our episode, our show last season. Um, but like currently there's over 40,000 people incarcerated for low level cannabis crimes. Like right now they're talking about um, freeing this African-American man and he's been in jail for 30 plus years for like three pounds of cannabis or something oh, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And so they highlight all these stories about all these people who are unjustly, you know, behind bars. So definitely check yes. that out. They're, they're really great, especially on Instagram. You can see those stats very quickly and it's very profound. Yes, absolutely. They're doing such good work. They're gaining a lot of momentum to Last Prisoner Project, which is just like dedicating to supporting it until the last prisoner 
is out. Um, additionally, another group I recommend is um, Families Against Mandatory Minimums, because in the same light, like there are still so many people sitting in jail because of really arbitrary mandatory minimum laws that had like just bystanders at drug busts that are now oh you know still sitting in jail because of of the dare era um strict drug enforcement laws and policies um and it's good um, it's great to hear people talking about these groups and people really organizing behind them also can occlusive is building a pretty big list so that customers are at least aware of who owns the businesses and how seriously they take diversity, which is another great positive approach um, to building awareness among customers of who they're buying their flower from. That's great. Yeah. Yes. And I think, you know, it's something I think that had to happen really. And I think, um, I think 10 years from now, we're all going to look back and be very thankful that we all had these conversations and and did our part to to push this forward. I really, I believe so. I'm staying positive. (laughs) As I said at the beginning, um, I'm looking at everything in a positive light and that's how, that's all we have to move forward. We all have to do our part. We all have to recognize what's happening first and foremost. I say that a lot. Awareness is, is the first step. Um, and awareness comes in many ways. So, but it's always the first step and there's always good that follows awareness. So that's kind of where we're living. And I really appreciate your both of you paying like put, putting a spotlight on this and paying attention to this because it does help increase awareness and help people ask the right questions as they go into their own states and try to figure out how they can affect positive change. Absolutely. Yeah, there's still a long ways to go, and I think yes, yeah. As we continue to write these these rules and regulations, as other states work to reform theirs, um, I think these are things that we have to keep front and center and, and, and top of mind, really. Because there are things that have to be addressed else, you know, what are we doing? We're spinning our wheels. Yeah. So do your part, everybody. (laughs) All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much, Jane, for being on the show again. Um, For anybody who wanted to learn more about her, check out that episode uh, 80. She has a Jane West lifestyle brand. She has these fun little mini joints. They're day and night. I remember, I'll tell you a quick story. I remember the first week your joints came out. um, They were sold at um, (laughs) that like herbal herbal cure <laughs> yes that's my that's my neighborhood place yeah that's your spot and i like was like one of the first people to go in there and like buy your joints so i love Yay! it i've been supporting you since you know the du women grow events so it's really great to still be in contact and have this opportunity to talk with you today i very much appreciate that thank you thank you all right you guys until we can meet in person again. (laughs) 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 All right, you guys with that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters.